God and want to turn with us, read along with us, we'll be in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 17. Very familiar scripture, story, record in the Word of God that I'll read into your hearing. And I probably won't preach or say anything that you've not heard before. One old preacher said he doesn't claim any originality to anything he preached. He said somebody preached it before he did. And if time lasts and I die, somebody preach it after I do. But he said, will you pray for me and preach with me while I preach it? And so I want you to pray for us this morning that the Lord will help us as we look in the Word of God. May the Lord touch us today and speak to us through His Word, through the preaching. First Samuel 17, let's stand together. If you're able and willing to do so out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. First Samuel 17, I'm going to read several verses. I'll try to read them as quick as I can. Most all of us know the story and what's taking place here. First Samuel 17, I begin reading in verse number 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, pitched between Shoko and Ezekah in Ephesdemim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. There was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. He had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. One bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. The three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. The Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren Ephah this parched corn, these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren. Carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, Look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. David rose up early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. 
David let his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I want to preach this morning, if God will help me, just a few minutes from this scripture. And I want to ask you a question. I want you to ask yourself a question. Are you in the battle? Are you in the battle? Now, I feel like there's a whole lot of people at the battle. But seems like in our day, there's very few people in the battle. I'm not preaching this morning whether or not you're saved. I'm preaching to those of you who are saved. To ask yourself and search yourself and be honest with yourself. And honest before God about whether or not you're really in the battle. Now it seems to me like if we read the scripture based upon what has been said in 1 Samuel 16 and then leading up into chapter 17, it would appear to me that the Philistines are taking advantage of the shape that the people of God find themselves in. See, Saul has disobeyed God and Saul has been rejected by God from being king. Samuel and Saul, they don't have any uh, bearings or dealings one with another after this, Samuel has, uh, by the command of God and the order and instruction of God, has anointed David to be the rightful king over the land of Israel. And we know and understand that an evil spirit from the Lord has plagued and troubled Saul, and it's turmoil and unrest in the land of Israel because of the rejection of God for their king. And so it seems like that the enemy, now in the word of God, the Philistines are what we would call the perpetual enemy of the people of God. They battle with them over and over and over again. And they're a good type of our flesh. And there is a constant warfare and a constant battle over and over and over again. And uh, many times it's not ever at our strongest that we have such difficulty conquering our flesh or conquering the allurements of the world or the enticements of the sin or by Satan or however you want to word it, but it always seems to come when we are at a place where we can be taken advantage of. And that's where the people of God were. They were in a time when the enemy could take advantage of their situation. Let's see, this flesh is only interested in one thing, and that's itself. And it doesn't matter. People say, well, I got saved, and so that changes my flesh. No, it doesn't. Your flesh is still as dirty and rotten and self-absorbed as it ever was. There is a warfare now between the outer man and the inner man. The inner man wants the things of God. The outer man wants to please itself. And so that's why we must reckon our outer man, our flesh, to be dead, to be crucified with Christ. And then we live, as Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, but nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life that I now live in the flesh. He doesn't say I live it of the flesh, he said I live it in the flesh, but he said I live it by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so there is a constant battle with our flesh. There's a battle with Satan. The Bible said we have an adversary and he walketh about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he doesn't come to fight against us and we're our strongest. But as the Philistines did for Israel, he will take advantage of our weekdays and our off moments to come against us in the battle. But the question this morning is, are you in the battle? Now, as far as I can tell, reading the scripture, there was a whole lot of people at the battle, but there wasn't but one that was in the battle. Because the Bible kept telling us 
that they set the battle in array. Now the word array means to put in order. The word array means to furnish the battle. So what that means is that the Philistines are on one side of the valley and they got all their armor on and all their brass is shiny and they got their boots laced up and they got their uniform pressed and they got their swords in their hand and on the other side of the valley stands the children of Israel and they're the same. They got all their weapons and they got their uniforms and they ain't wrinkled. They got their brass shiny and their shoes are shiny and they're standing there to battle but there's no battle going on. They're just at the battle. They're not in the battle. That would lead us to believe as we read the scripture that when David comes, the Bible said in verse 19 that they were fighting with the Philistines but then it tells us again in verse 21 that they had just put the battle in array, army against army. So one group is standing on one side and one group standing on the other side and they both look the part. They both have what they supposedly need to have to battle but they're just there. They're not doing anything. There's no progress happening. They're at a standstill. I feel like in our day that's where we are as a people of God. We're in our uniform. Now, I'm not preaching to sinners this morning. I'm not asking if you're saved. I'm asking it, as being saved, are you in the battle? We got our uniform on and we got all that we need and we're at the battle. But very few of us are in the battle. Now I read again in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus to take the armor of God. And we think and read that scripture often uh, that we're just taking it and that's all we're supposed to do. Uh, But if you'll read them verses, Paul's saying uh, to take it that you can do something with it. He said, take unto you the whole armor of God uh, that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil and that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And he said, having done all to stand, Stand therefore. And so it's not just taking the armor. That's what the people of God, the children of Israel, had done in this scripture. They had took themselves the armor. They had the uniform. They had all the weapons. But they weren't doing anything with what they had. They were at the battle, but they weren't in the battle. Now Saul's went through, and he's chosen the choicest men to go with him to battle. He's come by where Jesse was and he's taken his three eldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemal, and took them off as well as other men in the land of Israel. And they have set themselves. One writer said, I don't know, there's no biblical evidence that one writer said that the children of Israel's army far outnumbered the children of the Philistines. I don't know. But for some reason or another, they just went to the battle had showed up at the battle, but nobody was in the battle. How many times do we come to the house of God and we're showing up at the battle, but none of us are in the battle? How many times do we go away and get up on Monday morning and we show up at the battle, but we report for duty, but none of us ever do anything in the battle? But then we read about all of these things. And by the way, the Bible said, we'll get to him a little bit more in a minute. I'm just trying to preach how it's on my heart this morning. I know that it's a little bit different. I knew it would be. But I feel confident in myself and in the Lord that this is what I was supposed to preach this morning. And by the way, it tells us that Goliath presented himself 40 days. And 40 in your Bible is always a number of testing and trials. And so the children of God are getting put to the test. But the sad fact is most of them are failing the test they're being put to. See, you read in other places in the Word of God, it rained in Noah's day for 40 days and 40 nights. 
And Noah was put to the test in the ark. We read about in the New Testament when Jesus was led of the Spirit to be tried in the wilderness. It was for 40 days and 40 nights. And so here we are in 2023 and I really, really believe the people of God are being put to the test. But I'm afraid many of us are failing the test that we're taking. Because so many of us are at the battle, but yet so few of us are in the battle. And we're reading about all kinds of men that ought to be in the battle. I mean, if Elijah's the oldest, he ought to be in the battle. If Shammah is the, one of the oldest, he ought to be in the battle. Abinadab ought to be in the battle. Saul ought to be in the battle. He is the leader of the people of God. He stands head and shoulders taller than any man in Israel. He ought to be in the battle. But he's not. But the story changes in verse number 13 with two little words. Now David. He said this little boy who is the youngest of his father's sons, who is a shepherd by trade, he is given an order by his father to go to the battle. Now David may be the youngest, and no doubt according to the word of God, David is the smallest, and David probably physically is the weakest. The Bible said he was ruddy and of a fair countenance. He was a little boy, a little red-headed boy that everybody overlooked, nobody thought anything about. But deep down on the inside, apparently, according to the word of God, David had a warrior's heart. He had the heart of a true battle soldier. And he was given a charge by his father to go see how his brethren and the battle was going. And so his father calls him off the field and he says, I want you to take this bread and I want you to take this cheese and I want you to go down where they are and take some of this parched corn. And he said, see how your brethren fare and take their pledge. In other words, he said, I want you to help them and give them some sustenance, encourage them and refresh them and bring me word back how the battle is going. And so David thinks nothing about it. He does what his father tells him to do. His father did not have to wonder whether or not David would obey. He had proven himself to be loyal and obedient to his father. I wonder about us this morning. Now we've been given a charge by our father. And we're to be sober and to be vigilant. We're to wake up the Bible said it's now time, high time that we awake out of our sleep. For our salvation's nearer now than when we believed. That means the salvation of the body, that the end of this things are winding up, that the things are coming to pass, to bring the end to a close. We're just about out of time. It's just about over for us. And we've been given a charge to stand firm and fast and to be found in the battle. In the battle. I wonder on Sunday if the Lord has to go searching for us to find out where we are and whether or not we're in the battle. Now I understand the Lord knows where we are, but you understand what I'm saying. Now the Father knew exactly where David was and knew exactly where to find him and he knew that he would be obedient. He didn't ask any questions. He didn't say, now why can't I do this? He didn't say, I wish I was already down there. He didn't say, I ought to be down there. They ain't doing no good. He just said, yes, sir, when his father told him what to do. How many times do we, and I'm saying we, how many times do we argue when our father charges us to do something? And when we come in the house of God, and it's already been said this morning, but it's on my heart. And the Lord comes by and says, why don't you testify? 
and tell folks what I've done for you. And we begin that age old reasoning and bargaining and questioning and trying to get out. Well, I would, but this person's here, or this person's not here. This person can say it so much better than I, or this person says these words and I can't talk like they can. I can't testify like they can. I can't this or I, I can't that. And we argue and argue when we've been given a charge to find ourselves in the battle. We're so satisfied and it's sufficient for us to be at the battle. But we need some men and women to find themselves in the battle. As the charge of our father, we ought to obey like David did and grab what we had to grab and go do what the father said for us to do. But the Bible said he rose up early. He couldn't wait to do what his father had asked him to do. Oh my, how convicting is that? I say, oh me. I wonder how anticipated we are of being able to do something for our Father. I wonder how much it works in us to get to the house of God that we might have opportunity to tell somebody about what the Lord's done. That our Father has charged us to do something for Him and we anticipate, we're excited to get there to do what the Father says we ought to do. The Bible said he rose up early and he left the sheep with a keeper. He could not be preoccupied by all the other things that were going on. He couldn't be preoccupied with his day-to-day life but he had to get that taken care of so he could put his whole focus on what his father had charged him to do. How many of us come to the house of God And instead of leaving our sheep, our daily cares, instead of taking care of that, uh, we drag the sheep on in the house of God with us. And we're so distracted by their blatant and bad uh, that we can't focus on what our Father has charged us to do. Uh, David knew if he was going to fulfill uh, the charge for his Father, uh, there were some things he had to take care of and some things he had to get nailed down uh, so he could put all his focus and all his effort into fulfilling what his Father had told him to do. And he had a charge from his father. And he fulfilled the charge. But he had care for his brethren. It wasn't just that his father told him to do so. But he really did love his brothers. And he wanted to get down there. And he knew, I don't know at this point how long uh, that this standstill had been that way. Uh, we know that Goliath has been there uh, present himself for 40 days. Uh, so it's been at least 40 days uh, that they've been on the battlefield listening uh, to this giant come out and listen to him uh, uh, blaspheme the name of their God and defy their army and they're weak and they're weary and David just wants to be a blessing and a help to his brethren. He really does care about the brethren. Oh, I wonder indeed. Now I understand. I already said it before service ever started that it comes natural to love one another. But I wonder in these days do we really care about one another? Do we really care when one another is struggling? When it's somebody else on the battlefield, when it's somebody else that's been through the testing, when it's somebody else that's going through the trial, when somebody else is at a low point, when somebody else is discouraged and defeated in spirit, are we like David and we get the charge from the Father and we want to do it to please Him? But we also know that in being obedient to the Father, it will be a help and a blessing to the brethren. Do we really care about the brethren? David did. He really did care about his brethren. And then when he got down there and this champion walked out and he got to hearing what he said and the Bible said that when Goliath came that the children of Israel fled for fear. Then David not only cared about his brethren but he was concerned about the whole congregation. He said, something has happened. 
Something is wrong. These are not the men that I knew in town. These are not the men that I walk by every day. These are not the men that would do, that would stand this way. These are not the same men. Something has happened. They're discouraged. They're distraught. They're dismayed. They're afraid. They're in despair. Something has got to be done to help them. He didn't just care now. I'm going to preach this morning. He didn't just care about a select few, but he had concern about them all. Oh, his brethren were there, and he cared for his brethren, but he had a concern for all the congregation. He looked at all the people. He looked at all the men, and he cared about all the men, and he wanted to help all the men. He didn't just pick this one and pick that one. Now I'm afraid that's where we are. That's where, and mankind's never changed. Ain't it amazing how the flesh never changes? It's a, that's what was wrong in Corinth. They cared about their clique. If you like Paul, with the ones that like Paul, they cared about you, and they didn't care about the ones that cared for Apollos. And if you liked Apollos, then Apollos' crowd would care for you. If you like Cephas, then Cephas' crowd would care for you. But thank God amidst it all, there were some that knew they were of Christ, and if they really were of Christ. They cared for everybody. We need to get back to the day again where we have a concern for all the congregation. When we look around in the days and hours that we're living in and understand and realize that so many are at a standstill, that so many are defeated, that so many are afraid, that so many are running and hiding because of the temptations, because of the trials. <coughs> Because of the testing. We need to have some concern for the congregation. And David did. And it's amazing to me when he got down there at all that he faced, but he didn't let it hinder him. Now you would think somebody coming from town with some bread and some cheese and some corn and a word of encouragement to let them know that they, the people were praying for them and the people were behind them and their family loved them and God was for them. You'd think he'd be received with a great welcome committee, but he wasn't. And the reality is that we must understand to care and have concern for people that are hurting sometimes means that we may get hurt too. But we can't let it hinder us. We can't let the circumstances hinder us. We can't let what the brethren even say hinder us. I'm glad David didn't let it. He had a warrior's heart. He was in the battle, wanted to stay in the battle, and it mattered not to him what everybody else had to say about it. He wasn't hindered by the criticism of his brethren. His own brothers... The very oldest brother. The one no doubt by, uh, by the times and uh, the biblical ways probably was the most respected and the most looked up to of any of them was the one to speak out. And he said, I know the naughtiness of your heart. He said, I know why you're here. You just want to see the battle. You just want to feel like you are somebody when you're a nobody. That's what Eliab really said. He said, me and Abinadab and Shemal are the ones that got drafted. We're the ones here in the battle. You belong back home with my daddy and your daddy and them few little sheep on the hillside. You have no business here. In other words, Elijah was saying, if I can't face him, you certainly can't. Elijah was saying, look at you. Look at who you are. Look at how little you are. And look at how big he is. If none of us can fight him, you certainly can't go back home where you belong. And I'm going to be honest. If that had been me or most of us, we'd have thrown the cheese on the dirt and said, dust it off and eat it if you want to. I'm going home. We'd have said, go get the cheese yourself. Go get the bread yourself. Get the corn yourself. I'm not doing anything else for you. You've hurt my feelings. I'm going home. It's a reality. I'm not preaching mean this morning. I'm preaching from my heart. But that is what we're going to have to be prepared to deal with 
or when folks are hurting, when folks are scared, or when folks are in despair, or their first instinct in the flesh is to lash out at anybody and everybody. And if we're going to let our feelings get hurt, if we're going to wear our feelings, and I'm not preaching mean this morning, but you can't wear your feelings on your shoulders. If you do, they'll get knocked off by any shift in the sand. You better have your feelings guarded and understand that if you were in their shape, you'd be lashing out like they were. They need somebody to love them, have concern for them, and care for them, and get over it, and stay in the battle. That's right. That's right. And that's probably a great reason why so many are not in the battle. Because somewhere they got their feelings hurt. And ever since then, they've not been in the battle ever since. And most of the people of God can't even remember what it was that hurt their feelings in the first place. But they ain't been in the battle for 20 years because they got their feelings hurt by somebody that was hurting. And I know I'm preaching right. But it didn't hinder David. By the criticism of his brethren. The Bible said that when Eliab got done speaking, you can go home and read it. The Bible says when Eliab got done, David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And verse number 30 said, and he turned from him toward another. David just addressed it. David didn't give him a big long lecture. David didn't say, now listen here, buddy. David didn't say you need to repent and get right with God. David didn't didn't say you need to get out there on the battlefield yourself. He just said there's a reason I'm here and he turned to help somebody else. He didn't get hindered by the criticism of his brothers. But then I won't say, I'm just preaching how the Lord give this to me at working in my heart last night and I thank Him for it. He didn't get hindered by the calculations of the others. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, the Bible said that his brothers said what they said and that didn't hinder him. Their criticism didn't hinder him. And so he said, well, I'll fight him. If nobody else will, I will. And the Bible said the words of David were rehearsed in the ears of Saul and Saul sent for him. Now here's David. He's not just any longer standing before his brethren. He's standing before the king. And not only is Saul the king, but just the chapter previous, Saul really likes David. And David plays his heart for Saul. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in chapter 16 that Saul named David his armor barrier. And so there's a relationship here. And I'm going to tell you, when those you love and have a relationship with start calculating how you can and can't do something, it will offend you if you're not careful. Yeah. And so when he comes before Saul, Saul said, what have you been down there on the battlefield saying, boy? And David said, well, I come out and here come Goliath. And he said, I figured at any minute one of these men or all these men I was going to jump up and go out there and run and whoop him. And everybody started running. And he said, I just said it. They won't fight him. I will. David wasn't arrogant. David just had a warrior's heart. He got stirred up that this man was not only defying Israel, but he was defying God. And matter of fact, if you read the scripture, I think there's scriptural evidence that the Philistines were playing on the situation that Israel found themselves in because Goliath's first remark is, I'm a Philistine and you're servants of Saul. Not your Israelites, but your servants of Saul. In other words, he was cutting a little deeper and saying, you're following that man that even your own God rejected. And David said, I'll go. If nobody else will, I will. And here's what Saul said. He said, son, you're a youth. You're a little boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. You're not able. So here is the king. Here is the man in charge telling David, calculating David and saying, here is why you can't do it. And most of us would say, well, if that's how you feel, I'll just go back home. I mean, we better be honest this morning. And I said us, myself included, if somebody we loved and respected 
had the had the goal to say, you can't do it, and this is why most of us will say, well, maybe I can't, and I ought to go home. But it didn't stop David. David said, well, that may be. But he said, I've been out yonder, guarding my father's sheep, and he said, a lion and a bear come. And he said, I caught them by the beard and slew them. And he said, this uncircumcised Philistine will be no different than they. And Saul said, well, if you're, now he goes from, you can't do it. Saul's still calculating all this in his mind. And I'm going to tell you why Saul's calculating it. So it's because Goliath said, if I win, you will all be my servants, including Saul. Saul says, well, if you do go, this is how you have to go. And he says, take my armor, take my helmet, take my shield, take my sword, take this and take that. Now he's telling David how he has to do it. I'm going to tell you a great detriment to our church age today is we've got a lot of people who aren't even in the battle telling those who want to be in the battle how to be in the battle. God help us. Did you hear me? We got a lot of people who aren't even in the battle telling those who want to be in the battle how to be in the battle and they're not even in it themselves. And he puts all this, according to Scripture, the way I read it, it says in verse 38, and Saul armed David. Saul's putting all this on him and it's more than David can bear. And we got a lot and I. I'm trying my best to follow God and be careful what I say. But we got a lot of older Christians who aren't even in the battle and they're putting all these weights and distractions on younger Christians that want to be in the battle. And Saul's putting all this on him and David said, I can't use this. And David's excuse was not. Now listen, here's a little boy. And I'm not being disrespectful. That's what he was. A little boy. And here's a man who stands head and shoulders taller than any man in all of Israel. And he's putting his armor made for him on a little boy. And David's excuse was not, I can't carry these. They're too heavy. David's excuse was, I've not proved them. I've never seen these in action. I don't know whether they work or whether they don't. And he said, so I can't. I can't use them. we got a lot of young people. We've been blessed around this church. And we've seen folks saved. And we've got some young Christians and young families. And I'm telling you this morning, we need to quit putting all kinds of weights and burdens on them and quit giving them things that ain't been proven that just because they look good and sound good does not mean they'll help in the battle. So David didn't let the calculations of Saul hinder him. Now I want to say David didn't let, and I'm about done this morning. David didn't let the craftiness of the enemy hinder him either. Now here comes Goliath. And the Bible, I got to reading, and like I said, I'm not claiming originality. I don't know everything about the Scriptures. I'm sure somebody else has stumbled upon this and preached it long before I ever did. But I'd never seen it this way. God opened my eyes and let me see it, and I thank Him for it. We read this scripture and we think, now I'm not saying that Goliath hadn't won some battles in his day, but we read verse number 4 and it says, There went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath the Gat. We think he's a champion and we think that's the word we use for champion, but that's not what it means. The word champion means the man who stands between the two armies. So apparently the Philistines had learned this was a good tactic. Let's not all fight. You're bigger than we are. But we got this man with us. And we'll choose him and you choose one. And whoever wins, we're all the winners. And the other will serve the winner. They were real crafty. They knew how to outsmart. Sounds good. Let's not all die. Let's just send one man to die. I mean, that's really what 
uh, the Israelites thought they were saying when they looked at this man and saw how big he was, uh, they said, we are going to die. We're going to lose. But the enemy said, we'll get them. And we'll get them intrigued and caught up that only one man has to die. And then the others can just be servants. And apparently, now I don't have any real Bible for this except for what the Scriptures say, what the Word means. Apparently the Philistines had learned this strategy works. And they were crafty. They said, just give us one man, we'll give you one man, and then let it go at that. And here comes their man, Goliath. Whose name, by the way, and y'all never overlook names in the Word of God. They always speak about something, usually the character of the person. Goliath's name means splendor. He is something to look at. See, there's a lot of debate about what a span and a cubit really was. A lot of people can't agree. But regardless of what measurement you use, he stood between nine and 11 feet tall. Brother Hanley Mibby says he's a hoss. He's not somebody, I mean, we say, well, if he, if he were just nine feet tall, I mean, forget the 11 foot part, just nine foot tall, would you want to go out against him? And not only is he nine foot tall, at least, but the Bible goes down in intricate detail to describe all of his armor. That he had this coat of mail and he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders and he had this shield, one went before him just to carry his shield and he had a spear whose staff was like a weaver's beam. I got to studying on that and there's no, no real biblical answer but they say if Goliath's Based on historical accounts, if Goliath's spear was the same ratio to his height as an average man's, that his spear would have been 26 foot tall. He is impressive. And when he walks out on the battlefield, before he even speaks, all the men of Israel are captivated by this man. They've never saw anybody like this before. And he says, give me a man. One man. Send him to me that we may fight together. And if I win, you'll serve us. And if we lose and you win, we'll serve you. But just give us a man. Why set the battle in array? Why all of us fight? Let's just have one man. Now I don't have no Bible for this. I don't have any against it either. I think for 40 days, they went around begging for a man. Somebody please, just go try. Maybe they sought out since Saul was in his tent. He wasn't going to fight. Maybe they sought out the next biggest man and said, will you please, will. And they probably bargained, said, we'll give you our houses. Or we'll give you our land. We'll give you our cattle. Whatever we got to do, somebody go fight this man. And nope, for 40 days, 40 days, it's the same thing. He walks out. And he says, I'm not here just defying you. He said, I defy your army and I defy your God if you can't give me a man. And it just, every day it cuts a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper. And they're so caught up in the craftiness of the enemy and his techniques and his tactics that they're at a standstill and they're not willing to fight. How many people do you know that have got so swept up by the craftiness of the enemy. Now I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to talk about the devil, we have an enemy. He does not play fair. Never has. He don't play by the rules. He don't wait till you're strong to come at you. He'll take your weakest point. He'll search them out. And he'll use it against you. He'll use your own self against you. 
He can't battle you in your heart. That's where the Lord resides. But he'll battle you in your mind. He'll take you back to the days when you did this and you did that and make you feel like less of a man and less of a woman and not worthy. And I know we're not worthy. But I'm talking about get in your mind and make you feel inferior and unworthy and not able. And he'll have you reduced to being out of the battle. You'll be like one of the men of Israel on this day. All you can do is stand there with your mouth draped open at this enemy that you're facing and you feel like there's no way that you'll be able to overcome him. But the Bible said David's standing there and he watches this man come out and he watches what he has to say and hears what he has to say but he's not hindered by it. He's got that warrior heart and he wants to be in the battle. I say in this day we need some more warriors' hearts and some men and women that want to be in the battle. When Saul puts all that armor on him and I'm done, he says, I can't use these. I've never proved them. He said, but I will continue to use what I know works. And he took out that sling And he said, this was with me that day that that lion come and I slew him. And he said, this was with me that day when that bear come and I slew him. And he said, this uncircumcised Philistine will be no different. And he just laid aside the sword and he laid aside despite the criticism, despite the calculations, despite everybody telling him he couldn't do it, despite everybody telling him how to do it. He just laid all that aside and he walked down yonder to the brook. I don't know why he got five stones. Everybody can speculate. Five's the number of grace. Goliath had four brothers. I don't know what was in the mind of David. I don't know what was in the heart of David. All I know is that he was trusting in God. And he walked down yonder to the brook. And he got what he knew worked. And he continued to use what worked. He didn't try something new. He didn't try something foreign. He just held to what it worked for all them years. And he put it to use again. And he trusted and he counted on God. And it worked. See, we got too many men and women they're trying to use something that's never been proven. Preacher Milby said everything new is not true and everything true is not new. And that's right. We don't need anything new. We don't need a new shield. We don't need a new sword. The old sword, it works just fine. What we need to do is reach in our script and pull out the sling and go down by God's brook and get us some stones and walk out on the battlefield. And he didn't just go in his own might. David was not arrogant. A Goliath walked out and he said, Am I a dog that you come to me this way? He said, Come to me, boy, and I'll take your carcass and I'll feed it to the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. David said, You come to me with spear and a sword, but he said, I come to you in the name of the God of hosts and he will deliver you into my hand today. David didn't say, look at me, I am something. David was nothing. And he knew it, but he had a big God. And he knew about the ability of his God. And he knew about the power of his God. And that's what put him in the battle. Not David's ability. Not he was a great warrior. Not he had all the know-how. But he had a God. And he said, God will take me and use me to help my people today. And he said, I'll take your flesh and feed it to the fowls of the air. And the Bible said, go home and read it again. We read the Bible, we've read this story a thousand times or more, and we forget some of the details we skipped. The Bible said David hasted, and he ran. I mean, ain't that something? Wouldn't you like to have been on the sidelines watching that day down yonder in the valley? Here's a nine to eleven foot tall man. Here's a little bit of old ruddy boy and the man standing there with all these weapons and here goes this little boy instead of tucking tail and running that way he's running toward the giant a swing and a swing the whole way. And the Bible said he let her go. And the Bible said that the stone found its way to glass forehead. But ain't it a miracle that the Bible said he got hit in the forehead, but he fell forwards. You say, what was that preacher? Well, you can say whatever you want to, but it's God. God defeated the giant that day. Not David, God did. Because David put his faith in the God that could. David acknowledged his inability. David never argued one time that he was just a little boy, that he wasn't able. But he did argue the fact that God was able. 
I mean, here's a boy, he's so unlearned in battle, he don't even have a sword. When it comes time to cut Goliath's head off, he has to use Goliath's own sword. But he cuts it off. And he holds it up in victory. And he says, look what God can do. And the children of Israel, all of a sudden, the Bible said they all shouted and they pursued after the Philistines. They suddenly got some courage and stirred up to get in the battle. You say, why is that? Because somebody was in the battle. And I'm going to tell you, we're living in days and I'm done. I'm not here this morning preaching at you and preaching mean. That's not my goal. That's not my heart's desire. And the Lord knows. And you know. But even if you don't know, the Lord knows. We've heard enough preaching mean at us about not being in the battle. That's not what I'm doing this morning. I'm trying to preach encouragement for you to get in the battle. Because if you'll get in the battle and let God use you instead of looking around and criticizing everybody else about not being in the battle, you just get in the battle and watch everybody else come in the battle when God does it for you. We need some men and women, men and women, men and women to quit worrying about what they criticize them about, to quit worrying about what the brethren say, to quit worrying about what the, everybody else says, quit worrying about how people say they can't and how people say they should and all these weights and all these burdens. Lay all that aside. Take what's true, prove, uh, true and proven. Count on it. Count on God. Go forth to battle and watch God work. I want to know this morning, are you? I'm not asking you to look around. We said this morning, Sunday school. I'm not asking you this morning to look around and evaluate everybody else's position. You ask yourself, be honest before God. Are you in the battle? Are you in it? Or are you just at it? Are you there on the sidelines hoping and wishing somebody else? See, that's why if they did go through the crowd for 40 days begging, the reason nobody did is because they were wishing and hoping somebody else would. We've come to a place in our churches today where nobody will because we're wishing and hoping everybody else will. But there comes a time that you've got to understand it's not for everybody else, it's for you. Are you in the battle? Let's stand all over the house. I'm done this morning.